When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Mark. Songwriter, singer, author, and musician's advocate Shelly Pikin joins the podcast in this episode. She's written some of the biggest hits of the past 30 years, like What a Girl Wants, Almost Doesn't Count, Come On Over Baby, Bitch, and so many more. Shelly talks about what got her into music as a kid and how she pivoted from a career in fashion to music. But being a hit songwriter was not straightforward or immediate. But once she sold a song that found its way onto a Taylor Dane album, she discovered that songwriting was more her style than being a touring musician. She talks about how she wrote some of her biggest hits, how she also sang on some of them, and how digital delivery changed everything and changed it almost overnight. That's when she helped found Songwriters of North America and advocated for the modernization of songwriters' rights. In addition to writing hit songs, Shelley has also written a hit book, was nominated for a Grammy, and has won a She Rocks Award. So what's next for her? She's in the middle of writing a musical. This conversation was an amazing behind-the-curtain look at songwriting, how it's changed over the years, and more. We even answered the question, if you write the song, but someone else records it before you, are you covering yourself when you record it? Check out Shelly Pikin at ShellyPikin.com on Facebook or Instagram. Check out her album 2.0, etc. and get the book Confessions of a Serial Songwriter. Follow us at Performance ANX on social media. Send us a cup of coffee at ko-fi.com slash performance anxiety. Buy merch at performanceanx.threadless.com. And check out our sponsors and get ready for a peek behind the curtain with Shelly Pikin on Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. Mark, what's your last name? Shay. Okay, here we go. If I screw up, I can do it again, right? Okay. Hi there, I'm Shelly Pikin, and it's been a pleasure talking to Mike Shay on the Performance Anxiety Podcast. Oh, what I say? Oh, here we go. Take two. Hi, I'm Shelly Pikin, and it's been a pleasure talking to Mark Shay on his Performance Anxiety Podcast. Good? How you doing? Am I on time? Yes, yes. Let me make sure I got this thing going here. Okay. Sometimes it likes to go sideways on me. There we go. Thank you. Thank you for, for joining me. This is awesome. My pleasure. Now, I'm 
I'm FaceTiming you, so I, can you see me? Did you need to see me? Uh, I can. Oh, wait, hold on. I just realized I'm not. Uh, my, for some reason, my videos. Hold on a second. Let me try to get mine back on here. Let me see. There we go. There you are. Yeah, Hi. Yeah. <laughs> I like your face. You should oh, be seen. Thank you. I only do uh, audio, though. <laughs> yeah, I think you're the only person that said that besides my wife. Oh, no. <laughs> Always better to see a face. You know, I teach a class, and when the kids turn the camera off, I like, you just lost a grade. Yeah, <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> That's, you know, when I, when I set these up, I will... People will always ask, is it audio or video? And I've kind of got to explain this, what you were just saying, that I, I think a conversation goes a lot better if I can see you. Yeah. It's a lot easier. Well, also, Nicole uh, Polis from Sideways said, it's an audio interview, but you might use FaceTime for social. So I did put on a little makeup yes. just in case. <laughs> oh no, I, everything's fine. Everything is awesome. So, All right, so lead the way. You got it. I'm really thrilled and, and honored to have you on. This is- uh, oh, Thanks for having me. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. And you are primarily known as a songwriter, but that's not how you started, I'm sure. So I want to know a little bit more about how music made an impact on you early on. Was there a lot of music in the household? Or did you grow up playing instruments in school bands? You know, it's funny how things have gone full circle. My dad used to play musical theater soundtracks all the time. Oh, cool. In our living room every Sunday, we'd have pancakes and eggs, and he would put on an album, and I think it got in my head, you okay. know? But I didn't pay attention you know, I, I, I was in a lot of musical theater plays in, in high school. I was familiar with the material and I loved it, but that's never what I wanted to write until just recently, but we can get there. Right. <laughs> um, pop songs always spoke to me. I was just a pop song junkie and that was my drug. Oh, you wow. know, and for any time I had a birthday or it was a holiday, that's what I wanted. Just buy me a 45. You know, it was a buck. Oh, wow. I didn't care. Just buy me a 45. That's all I want to do is like hear that song again. This was, of course, way before digital. Went to college, did not study music, although I took a couple of I played piano and I played guitar and I took piano lessons in high school. So I knew my way around. And when I got into college, I studied something completely different, like fashion design, fashion merchandising and marketing. There, it wasn't like it was today where colleges have all this curriculum in pop songwriting. Yeah, that's which amazing. Actually teaching now. They just, if you wanted to do that, you like... You were sort of like an outlier and you found your way. So I would go to classes and then run up to the music building and lock myself in a cubicle with a piano and write songs. And oh, I wow. did this thing that I didn't know anybody else that did it. Oh, you know, awesome. I was the only songwriter I knew I was in college. And now it's like, there are just, they're everywhere. That, they're yeah. just, and not a bad thing. It's just a lot more competitive now because it's so much easier to be a songwriter, even if you're not a musician. I came out of college. I came to New York City. 
I didn't really love the garment district, the culture of it. And that's really where the jobs were for my major. And so I just didn't do it. And I got a job waiting tables at a new hotel. My father's like, I just gave you that whole college education. College is really, so you learn to live and be independent and who you are and people change. And I, I found this songwriting group that met every week in the back room of some bar in Midtown Manhattan. And I walked, I saw it in the paper, advertised in the paper. And I walked in there and I thought, oh my God, here, this is my tribe. I felt like I was on another planet. There are other people that, that do this. I thought everybody that, I thought all the songs I heard on the radio were written by whoever was singing them. And it was not true, more true today, but not yeah. true then. And um, this group of people, they were so lovely. They took my hand. They brought me down to Bleecker Street. They they introduced me to all the, the people that booked the clubs, the Bitter End and Kenny's oh. Cascades and CBGB's. Yeah. And I just started playing wherever I could and writing with whoever would write with me. Before you started songwriting and doing all that in college, were you playing music in, in bands or anything? Or were you, no. you weren't doing it at, at all? No. Wow. So you just went straight into it. Yeah. Oh I didn't God. really perform until after college. Wow. Oh, yeah. my gosh. That must have been, I don't even know the word, a shock. When you started, were you doing it solo or were you doing it with other people? Yeah, I was writing songs by myself before I even knew that you could write with other people. Um, Nobody talked about it. (laughs) And then, you know, I I would go to these creative songwriting workshops I found in New York, and I I would meet people, and the, the instructor who was facilitating us would ask, you know, put us together with different people. And that became, you know, I don't know if I could use the, these analogies on the air and you can ixnay it if you choose, but it was like song sex. It was like doing this wonderful, pleasurable thing with somebody else, right? you know, having a partner and that makes you better at what you do. Other people like bring things out in you that you didn't know you had, but I'll tell you, Mark, I think I was always a late bloomer in everything I did in finding a partner and having a child. I just did a pivot that I could tell you more about later that came very late in life. And sure. I, I think that extends your longevity because if you start everything a little later than everybody else, you know, you know, Maybe I'll have a hit musical when I'm 80. Who knows? <laughs> you know, so I'm good. And I think that that there were songwriters who, if they hit really early on with a hit song and never really had a, a, enough rejection so that they kept going back to the drawing board and doing the work, then maybe they never really got good enough to last. That's you a know? good point. And they got very lucky or it was a fluke and they had this big hit. And um, I might have been frustrated that I never had a hit as soon as they had a hit, but I appreciate it now. Well, exactly. You make a great point. I went to college for photography and before going to those classes, I never had to get critiqued. And once I got to college 
and first assignments came out and they're like, okay, so you're going to do uh, take, shoot 10 rolls of film. You're going to pick three shots. We're going to print them up and going to put them up and we're all going to talk about, them. we're all going to critique them. What's good and what's bad. And I went, Oh shit. Wow. I, I'm not ready for this. And I wasn't ready and it, I didn't take it the right way. And I ended up leaving school after a few years going back, going right into the field for it and just doing it on my own, much like, you know, a lot of people like, like yourself, just jumping into it. But I think you you make a really good point. If you're maybe a little more seasoned in life, maybe, that maybe you're, you're more open to accepting what the criticism is for. Right. But when you, you were taking pictures before you went to school. So you had some seasoning as well. Yeah, but I never really had to put them up and have them critiqued. You know, it was it was for high school classes and my teacher loved me. So he was everything was great. It was, you know, right. we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Before you skip over this ad, give me one minute. Like most podcasts, I pick sponsors carefully and I use the products that advertise here. Pure Spectrum CBD is a product that has been really beneficial for me. They have a wide variety of great products that can be used on a daily or as needed basis. I've been using the tincture every day and it's been wonderful for easing anxiety. And I absolutely love the isolate. I use it instead of acetaminophen or ibuprofen. And it's worked so well for the relief of aches and pains. They also have soaks, lotions, salves, gummies, and more. Plus, an entire line for fitness recovery. They even have products for your pets. See everything they offer at PureSpectrumCBD.com. And if you have questions, they're there to help. They helped me when I had no idea where to start. After you fill your cart, use code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your purchase. Pure Spectrum CBD. Pure Spectrum CBD, Pure Spectrum CBD. I found 
these groups in New York. It was after college, but when I it was for when I was a beginning songwriter, and we called it Song Party, and we got together one night a week. There were about ten of us, and it was a safe place. And we always found something about everybody's song that we liked, but then we'd say something like, but the second verse didn't grab me or the chorus wasn't strong enough or I really wanted a bridge. So I, it wasn't in a classroom with an instructor. It was in a small room with 10 of my peers and we were all at the same level and we were all doing it for each other. And I got very used to that. I got so used to it that at some point I was able to critique myself. I can, I would know what was weak in a song when I was writing it. I can wake up the next morning and go, that line is needs to be replaced. Oh, wow. Okay. So I think constructive criticism when it's not used in an embarrass to embarrass yeah. a subject in a safe place. You know, I, I do that when I teach. There's eight students who are online and I tell them right from the beginning, this is a safe place and nothing leaves this room and you don't talk about anything outside and oh, and wonderful. um I think it's 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 valuable. It is. It, and to my own experience, I was not prepared for it and nor was I mature enough to accept it at the time. So, yeah. so being a teenager and there's some other things going on that really uh, made it tough to accept the criticism. So, so, but you know, live and learn and, and learn to accept the criticism for what but it is. It's something else. And yeah. you got three kids and a wife and a, and a life. And yeah. so something was, you know, and I still do my photography on the side. For, I do Great. a lot of live music shots here in DC area. So it's, it's, it's you awesome. combined it. Exactly. We learn, we learn as much about what we want to be when we grow up by finding out what we don't want to be true, what we don't want to do. And, Young people, I think, just have to keep trying, even if they're afraid and they're like, well, what if I don't like it? So then, then you know, then you have more information yeah. that's valuable. Exactly. And then do something else. Just like, you know, you in the garment district, that's not what you wanted yeah. to do. Move on. Yeah. When did other people's interest in your songwriting begin? How did that whole career start for you? What would- right. So I did put a band together after I started writing songs after college. Okay. I have a decent voice, but it's not great. It's a songwritery voice, like a folky, like Sheryl Crow, but not that good at all. <laughs> in that kind of style. And I put a band together and I started playing some small clubs and I had a lawyer who was trying to get label people to come and see me and maybe sign me. And right when I was doing that, there was a producer who wanted one of the songs I was playing live for one of his artists that he was working with. And she was signed and she had a record deal. And I thought, all right, you know, I'll give the song up. That's, that's cool. And, you know, I was a waitress at the time and this artist recorded the song. She put it out on her record. It wasn't a single. It was an album, what we called an album cut. Right. So it, was, it wasn't on the radio, but it was on this album. It was on this physical product that wound up selling 
3 million copies in this country. And at the time, a songwriter would earn nine cents for every physical copy sold. And I was the only writer on the song and I didn't have a publisher. Oh, wow. So I was like, (laughs) this is kind of good. You know, maybe somebody else will want my song. And the truth is I loved my life living alone in my apartment with my cat in New York City. I didn't love the idea of traveling to promote a record I might make. And I started getting other people interested in recording my songs for artists on their label. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed when I wrote something that was very personal to me. And Natalie Cole said, I want to record that. I relate to that song. It was a beautiful thing. And it was a very valid way to make a living back then. Young people can't do that now in the same way. And that's another conversation. And I I'm very involved in advocacy of creators' rights and yes, see fair that. play for digital streaming royalties, fair for pay. But I sort of pivoted at the time and decided I don't need to make a record. This is a cool way to make a living. I enjoy it. I meet people. And I just did that for the next 25, 30 years. It sounds like it wasn't a very difficult decision for you to make. I think it was just natural. Yeah. It wasn't like I said, hmm, maybe I shouldn't make the record. It was just very natural as songs, as more songs started getting recorded, I just kept writing. So, and that, that was a lot of fun. What was that first song? That song was called Carry Your Heart, and it was recorded by an artist by the name of Taylor Dane on Arista Records. Oh, yeah. A&R by Clive Davis, back when we actually had... A&R at record labels. Back when record labels solicited songs from people like me, they wanted them. They asked for them. They welcomed them. Okay, so that was one of the uh, questions I wanted to ask you because I did yeah. notice that you have a background vocal credit on Taylor Dane's Tell It To My Heart. Yes. So, Not Tell It To My Heart. It was on Carry Your Heart. Okay. Tell It To My Heart was the leadoff single from that album. Oh. Carry Your Heart was on that album and I sang back up. Oh, that's the, yeah. that's the album title. I'm just, I pulled up the, yeah. the whole album. That's what it was. Okay. Right, right. Okay. Oh, that but makes sense. Know, Backup vocals, backup harmonies were always a big part of the songs I wrote. You know, I wrote What a Girl Wants, and in What a Girl Wants, it it went, What a girl wants, yeah, what a girl needs, yeah, what a... And I'm doing those, yeah, what is on the record. Oh, nice. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the producer would say, but nobody kind of does it like you. Like, I'll be right over. See, that is awesome. you 
that uncommon for a writer to participate in the recording of a, of a song? Um, not so much these days because so many songwriters are singers themselves right now. Okay. It's just easier to be, I keep using air quotes, which you're not going to be able to hear, <laughs> a songwriter if you can sing the bits and get in the room and sing to a track, and yeah. then you just track the vocals as the songwriter and singer when you're there. And I would think it's kind of common that a songwriter, if they're a singer as well, would would do some vocal work on the album. Okay. One of the cool credits that I saw on here is uh, a guy I grew up listening. My brother and I grew up listening to is Southside Johnny. Yeah, you write having a, a song by Southside a Johnny. Song, yeah, that is just awesome. One day you're gonna look into my eyes. You'll say you know for sure. That's what I'm waiting for. And when the moment is right. what's crazy can i remember the title of it it was a long title it had a lot of words i'm gonna i'm working on pulling it up right now so uh yeah it was uh the wonderful thing about oh editing. if the moment is right if the moment yes. is right <laughs> yep that is fantastic the, yeah. just i grew up in new jersey uh so, so that he was, was at very jukes yep yep so he was omnipresent in my house my dad loved right. it my brother loved him he was playing all over the place so that, that's I, one of my favorite credits that you've got thank you and he was a lovely dude yeah oh did he good. open for bruce wasn't he like opening for bruce springsteen yeah yeah he was not a bad gig no <laughs> if you can get it that's, that's pretty good so that's just one of the credits you've got i mean there's christina aguilera like we've spoken about uh brandy the pretenders meredith brooks Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, Keith Urban. So there's a whole lot of genres in there. That, yeah. that is really impressive to be able to, to write in so many different styles. Yeah, I, I'm sort of a chameleon. That is awesome. I love if it. If I'm writing with a good leader, I can follow. The only thing I don't really write that well, I think, is country. And and Keith, that wasn't like a a traditional country song. Thinking I'd find something better for me somehow. Oh, but now, whenever I run, instead of running into the blue, I found my heart. And there in your arms is where I find the love I need. And the best is yet to come, baby. country really well and I don't write like hip hop although when I started writing and Brandy recorded that song she was considered pop yeah no it wasn't as hip hop stylized as it is now it wasn't as urban as much R&B but you can't get to heaven to have all the ground everybody knows can't keep on loving you 
I can follow somebody's lead and I enjoy that. I enjoy a change of scenery. I enjoy a change of style. My husband comes home. I've rearranged the furniture. He's like, no, not again. <laughs> I, I buy coastal. I'm going to New York on Friday to see my kid who lives there. I just really love to be in the city and then be in the canyon and then go to the beach. I just really enjoy that variety. Oh, well, I've got a lot of questions about your process of songwriting. Um, yeah. So you did, you moved out to LA. Did the change from going to New York to LA, did that have any effect on songwriting? Well, I didn't get, I didn't strike until I was here in, in Los Angeles, but I did a lot of rehearsals in New York City. I think when I moved over, Mark, pop music was all moving over too. Okay. And I didn't move over for the music. I moved for a guy right. <laughs> that I had met. And then we were long distancing it for three years and it was still working. Wow. And I thought, geez, you know, maybe I should move there because he had already moved from New York to LA. So I wasn't going to say, well, now you should move back. Yeah. Plus what I wanted to do, it was in LA. Okay. So the, the problem was I loved and still love New York city life. I never was less in love with it after being there for 10 years. Wow. So kind of left a little reluctant, but I did it. And I have no regrets. So much of the culture was happening here. I had great co-writers. I met so many people and records were being made here. Yeah. So it was all good. And now it's kind of gone full circle because I came out. I, I'm still with that same guy. Awesome. We moved in together about four years later, we had our a baby and she's in New York now. And we just <laughs> last year bought a tiny little shoebox apartment back in New York. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm like, yes, universe. Oh, you know, that's uh, awesome. So I go back there quite often and I feel like, you know, I earned it and I get to go back there now and spend and enjoy it again. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Do you write every day? Is, is it is your process to, to make yourself write something every day? Or do you just write when something strikes you? You know, when, I, when my career was really hot in the pop space, I was writing every day. I was going to a session every day. Wow. But to be honest, digital delivery changed a lot of that because digital te technology made it possible for many, for thousands of more people to be songwriters. You didn't have to pick up a guitar, play a piano. You didn't have to write a whole song all the way through by yourself. You could write in pieces in rooms with lots of people and that and you could write if you could trigger a beat on a computer. And I'm not judging, but it's the truth. It's the way it was. And yeah. so there got to be so many more people doing it and so much more competition. When I was 20 years old and writing pop songs, everybody was writing was in their 20s. And we wanted to write about the same things. And, and that was never an issue. But as I was getting older, that I was in my 30s, that I was in my 40s. And I 
was getting older than the people I was writing with and the things I wanted to write about weren't necessarily the same things they wanted to write about. And then when I entered my fifties, I, they, a 20 year old might not have wanted to get in the room with somebody that was the same age as their mother. So it changed. And I, I slowed that down a little bit and I was like, what am I going to do? I'm not sure what I should do to keep me busy, but I'm still very creative. So I wrote, I started writing this book, Confessions of a Serial Songwriter. Yeah. And I narrated it and it got nominated for a Grammy and spoken word. And I thought, okay, I'm following my bliss, doing what I love. And that was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And definitely a consolation prize for not being <laughs> in the room so much anymore. The truth is, you know, I, I write a pop song now most young people want to write with young people, but there was a young kid that called me last week and said, I'm dying to write with you. Will you write with me? And I online and I listened to his stuff and I thought I did what he's doing. Yeah. And I went over there and we had great song sex. It was wonderful. He He really liked what I was bringing and it was great, but I don't want to do that every day. I recently um, started writing a musical with my husband and our friend Lucy, and that sort of circled back to all the albums my dad played. And and I said, Dad, he's not with me anymore. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. You know, (laughs) look what I'm doing. You'd be so happy. That is Um, awesome. And I never thought I'd be writing songs for musicals but it's just as exciting and satisfying as writing a pop song when you get it right it feels great it's thrilling and i'm writing with some you know my husband's really good at it he he always did film and tv stuff but he's a good songwriter too and lucy was great and i think that the whole project has legs and it's a new space for me I'm having fun again. Oh, that's good. I'm having fun again. That is so good. And being nominated for being honored at the She Rocks Awards. Yes. What what an honor that is. So I feel like, gosh, you know, I feel recognized and valued. And I'm doing a lot of giving back, doing a lot of mentoring. And wonderful. Helping young people and guiding them. So it's great. It's great again. (laughs) So when you're writing pop songs, are you, I guess, do you have artists in mind? Are you writing just, are you thinking of yourself singing it when you're writing? Um, I know sometimes it's collaborative, like with, with Meredith Brooks, when you guys wrote Bitch. I remember when that song came out and I just, I love that song. (laughs) That was such a great song. Still is a great song. I shouldn't say it was. I understand how you'd be so confused. I don't envy you. I'm a little bit of everything I'll roll into one I'm a bitch, I'm a lover I'm a child, I'm a mother I'm a sinner, I'm a saint I do not feel ashamed I'm your hell, I'm your dream I'm nothing in between You know you wouldn't want it any other way so In instances where you're writing 
alone, do you have artists in mind that you write for, or are you picturing yourself singing it? When I'm writing alone, it's about me. But if I can think of an artist that would relate, I mean, what I feel inside doesn't mean I'm the only one who feels it. That's true. So then if I could think, oh, this would be good for Britney, I might go there. But I'm usually never thinking, when I'm alone, what can I write for her? Okay. Um, I, that, well, that's not true. I sat down at the piano once and channeled something that I thought would be great for Britney. But it was also, the sea of it was from something that happened to me. Okay. When I used to write with other people, our publishers would put us together and say, you know, Kelly Clarkson's looking for stuff. Right. Write something for her. And so we'd study her range and the notes she used to like to grab onto and the and the syllable sounds she liked to, you know, what, wow. what sound she liked to open up on. And we would scientifically try to write for her. That's amazing. A good concept. Yeah. And if I was never that good at it, but if I was writing with somebody that was good at it, like I said, I was a really good follower. And now I just don't care as much about what somebody else wants to say. It's really about what I want to say, or I, I wouldn't write songs to pitch anymore, um, Mark, because labels aren't, they don't want songs. Wow. They don't want to hear your song. Really? They only, you know, and labels really aren't, there's no A&R at labels anymore. It's the gatekeepers that are making the records with the artist. And in order to get on those albums, you really have to be in the room with Dua Lipa. You need to be in the room with Demi Lovato. She's very rarely going to record. Artists are very rarely going to record a song that they didn't write. Pink does once in a while. I have to hand that to her. But they like to be in on the writing because the income streams have shrunk so much that they want a piece of the writing. Um, There are some artists who are really super writers and should be in the room. Even if they give you a melody that you could say, wow, I could find words for that. That's really valuable. But many of them should not be there. And they're just diluting the song chain, you know? They're just diluting. And then you say to yourself, well, I don't really like that line they just gave. I can think of a better one, but I want on that record. So do I say, I like that? And they'll say, you know, get out of the room. I want to call somebody else. And you have to have that talk with yourself. Oh, so writing becomes political. I wouldn't say it becomes political. It depends what you think about political. It becomes... Tricky. But the, yeah. The, you know, the yeah. personal, po- the, the, the politics of, of the room. Right. Right. Of the, of the, poli- you the, know, the, the, the game. Yeah. Yeah. It's a game of getting on the record. So it sounds like the songwriting world since you started has, has done almost a complete 180. Yes. You know, and writing online over COVID became a thing and I just hated it. Oh, really? I, I, No, I like to meet with somebody, go for a walk, have a cup of coffee, think about what we want to write about. And then usually the song comes from the conversation, you know, the song title comes from the conversation and then you sit down and you're two feet away from them and you feel their body heat and, and their energy and 
you you stumble on something really hooky and you grab them and you're like, oh my God, you're punching their arm. <laughs> you can't do that online. You can't even sing together online because everything that there's this, this delay. Yep. And I just hate it. And I thought everybody that wants to do it, they could have it. Wow. Yeah. There's definitely something to be said for being in person with somebody working off each other's energy. And that doesn't, that doesn't come through on Wi-Fi. No, (laughs) no. That's why when I teach my class, I say, look, we're doing this virtually. So you need to be up close. You need to be well lit you need to show up on time and it gets, you know, they're in Nashville and I'm here. So it gets darker there oh. when it's, it's a three hour class. When it gets darker there, put a light on your face. Yep. Do not turn on your video. Do, do not turn off your video. You know, this is crazy. You need to be there. I need to see your face. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we keep take a camera on. We need break and they go use the restroom or have a snack. But when we, you need to be on camera. Yeah. Like we were talking at the beginning of the conversation. You mean, yeah. It's, it actually means something. Faces are good. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you actually ended up recording your own album, of I did. stuff yeah and had it it was kind of a it was a mix of some of the hits and some songs yeah. that people hadn't heard before and right I, I thought that was brilliant because i i love bitch when it came out and then very this is very rare that when i hear somebody redo a song i like it just as much like your your version of bitch i just i well, love it's such a thank different you. take on I it i understand how you'd be so confused I don't envy you I'm a little bit of everything All into one I'm a bitch, I'm a lover I'm a child, I'm a mother I'm a sinner, I'm a saint I soon don't feel ashamed I'm your hell, I'm your dream I'm nothing in between And all you wouldn't want any other way So do Exactly. That brings up the question. If you wrote the song, but somebody else recorded it and released it, and then you record it, is that a cover? Or is that... (laughs) So you're covering yourself. I'm covering my own song. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, I wrote the song with Meredith. Right, right. So it's not like I wrote it and somebody else recorded it, but I see what you're saying. That would be considered a cover version, yeah. Okay. I was very curious. When I saw all the songs on there, I'm like, man... You of all people would know this more than anybody else I've had on the show. So, yeah. But I also liked these songs that I hadn't heard before, especially George and John. Oh, are you a Beatles fan? Yes. I grew up, my mom was a huge Beatles fan. She still is. And I grew up listening to the Beatles through her. And so I loved it because there's so many just wonderful cues to the Beatles, lyrically and musically. Yeah. And it just, it was, it's just a special song. I loved it. Yeah. Cause I'm so tired I got no place to go 
Well, I can't take credit for the for the instrumentation. I wrote that with my friend Phil Thornelli. He lives in UK, okay. and we very often write. We used to write together when he'd come to the states, and I would write with him when I went to London. And one day, I said to him, "You know, I, I always wanted to write a song that was analogous with." losing half of yourself when you have a breakup and how it felt to lose half the Beatles. Wow. So half of me is gone, just like George and John. You are, you, we're not together anymore. Half of me is gone and it feels like the way I felt when I lost half of the Beatles. And it was a complicated song to write and no one was ever going to record that <laughs> but at best maybe we could get it in a beatles documentary or something yeah but phil said i have to write the music to that and he's a huge beatles fan and he just knows how to recreate that vibe but i said phil i don't know like what this puts me in a really weird position what if you write the music like i was going home the next day to the states he said he said i'll just send it to you i said well what if you send it to me and i don't like it and i'm not getting it i'm not feeling it he said you're gonna you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna love it i'm like okay then yeah. and I came home and like two days later i see this mp3 pop up and he said here it is and i sat here in my office i put the headphones on i listened to his track i was like oh my god that's amazing and i sat across from where i'm talking to you now and I, the words just came from the ceiling Wow! and I was done in like an hour. Oh my I God. just knew what to say, but that's when you have a really great collaborator whose music speaks to you. That guy never sends me anything that doesn't provoke words. Jeez, Somebody gives amazing. you a piece of music and you're not getting any words and it's day three. It's like, you need to pass. Yeah. I but can understand I, that always you know it just came out i was like this is amazing and i i think i recorded the vocals on garage band sent him the files he put it together but when i decided to make this album i was going to london and when i was there i said let's redo the vocals let's get together and make it sound you know but he's just amazing and and he he realized the concept so beautifully. It was it, just divine. It's such a great track. I love it. And Thank you. So, how did the idea for this album come about? To take some of your your well known songs and just and yeah. do it yourself. So I just. I thought I'm gonna die and never have never make a record. You know, <laughs> I just really felt like in my life, I wanted to do that. I wanted to put my voice on these hits, and I also wanted to record some songs that I felt should have been recorded but hadn't gotten recorded. Okay. I wanted to make sure people heard them. And so I made the record, but sadly, Mark, we released it in like February of 2020, like two weeks before lockdown. Oh. So I couldn't 
promoted. I couldn't go out and gig. And it's sort of just, I didn't want to force it into people's faces. I did some online concerts over COVID because that's all you could do. I hate, I mean, I had fun, but it's so sterile. It's the same, right. It's, it's not like you're sitting in a, I would rather sit in a room with 10 people and play for them and play for a hundred people and see the comments coming up. And that's gotta be so distracting. It was the only game in town though, if you wanted to connect. So I did that. But by the time COVID wound down, it was like, Oh, do I really want to promote this? Then I was working on the musical. And so it lives, you know, it's there on Spotify. If anybody wants to hear it, it's there. But I'm sort of like next. Yeah. <laughs> so, but it's again, it's it's that being in the same physical space with people like you're talking about when you writing. You know, you you feed off of that yes, that you presence. Do. That you do. I, so I can understand. I had some other some friends who did the same thing. Who, who did uh, online shows because they were just working musicians and they had their their a lifeline cut off and it was they said it was just really weird some of them would do them at their house some of them would, would find a studio space that they could rent and they would do these shows they would play and then silence it was just really weird no applause yes yeah, which is exact opposite of what they're used to <laughs> it was just very very weird experience very weird times yes, it was. when did writing a book start popping into your head when when did that idea happen you know i think it was at, it was when digital delivery started taking the place of physical copies and the state our statement started just disintegrating yeah you know we were supporting ourselves sustaining ourselves on that income and then digital delivery just robbed songwriters of their fair share I mean, not by 10%, you know, by like 95%. And we didn't get a hold of it when Napster came out. We should have, everybody thought, oh, this won't last. And it did. And I wasn't, I was okay. I had saved, I had saved my royalties from the royalties that I made, but it was just very degrading and depressing for my whole community. I was getting older and my phone wasn't ringing as much for reasons we discussed before. Yeah. And I was really depressed. I thought, well, if I'm not going to be a pop star, that's my identity. What am I going to do? And I started writing. I was in a really bad funk and I started writing about it. And I was compiling little vignettes, little stories about what happened when Chrissy Hine recorded my song or what happened that day in the room with Meredith. And I thought these stories would be interesting for other people who are songwriters or people who are just interested in looking behind the curtain of, the, of a songwriter's life. Like me. And, That's why I do this crazy podcast. Yeah. And um, I didn't know what to do with the writing and... I went out one night with my friend, Allie Willis, who has since left us. She wrote 
Boogie Wonderland. She wrote September. She wrote a song before your time called lead me on. She was a, a very unique individual and a beautiful mentor. And we went out to dinner one night and I said, Allie, I'm just, I can't, I don't know how to move forward. I feel like I'm just in this, this gap. I used to think of that Coldplay song, I'm in the gap between the two trapeze. Yeah. Like um, I'm just in the air and I don't know what to do. And Allie said to me, Oh my God, she's from Chicago. Oh my God, you're in the best, you're in the gap. That's the best place you could be. When you don't know what else to do, that's when you're the most fertile. Anything can happen. She just had this unbelievable positive attitude. And I said, well, I was thinking about writing a book. And she said, write the book. You should write the book. And so... I went home and I got up the next day and I'm like, I'm going to write that damn book. And I didn't know how to get published or who I just didn't know anything, Mark. But I learned that it's so good to do shit that you don't know anything about. I didn't know how to write a song when I first, I didn't know how to pitch it. I you go out there and you ask questions, you know, and I spent three hours every day when the book was done, querying it's called querying publishers and querying editors and querying agents and i must have done that three hours every day for about six months and then the way that i got the book published was from somebody who i met who was a publisher who knew somebody and i called her cold and she said let me read it and she loved it and brought it in to somebody who distributed books about music. And they said, we're in. Wow. But, and, and I didn't look at all that work I did as a waste of time. I looked at it as the universe seeing me doing the work. That's and awesome. then it said, okay, I'm going to make it happen. Wow. And I tell young songwriters all the time when they say, how am I, how do you do it? And I'm like, it's never going to happen for you the way it happened for me. Right. It's not going to happen for you the way it happened to your classmate. Just show up, go out there and do the work. And when the time is right, it will reveal itself in a way you could never predict. Exactly. That is so true. If you don't, and if you don't do it, it's not going to happen. So you no, got to actually got to do the work. You got to do the work. Exactly. So you've got a couple of Grammy nominations and you've yeah. got, and this year you're an honoree for the She yeah. Rocks Awards. Yeah. So how does that work? Is that, are there categories or is it like a, a career recognition or achievement kind of honoree? I, how I believe it happens is that women in the music space in the community will nominate other women that they feel are worthy, I suppose, because I nominated a couple people too. And I guess if you get a few more nominations than somebody else, they'll ask you if you'd like the honor. And of wow. course I said, yes, that uh, wonderful humbly and gratefully and um i'm really excited i don't know what i'm gonna wear i don't have any time to shop <laughs> i just don't have any time to shop um but i've been practicing you know i get i'm, I'm asked to play one song oh, nice. and i'm very out of practice because of covid and you know even just one song 
um, more fluent on a keyboard than guitar. And I might have chose to play bitch because I know how to play that on the guitar. But my co-writer, Meredith, was nominated last year. Oh, awesome. And she played that song and oh. she owned it. So I can't go back the next year and do it again. It's no. sort of funded. So I decided I'm going to play what a girl wants. I'm going to play it every single day up until the show at least 10 times. Oh, wow. And that's what you have to do because you have to go up on stage and enjoy yourself. And if you're under rehearsed and under practiced and you keep thinking in your head, I'm going to screw up, you will, and you won't enjoy yourself. So you practice as much as you can so that when you get up on stage, you're enjoying performing. Right. I've been in situations before where I was under rehearsed or nervous and you get up on stage and you play five songs and you're not having fun until the fifth song because you're just getting comfortable. Then you wasted all this pleasure that you might've had playing the first four. So that's interesting. Be ready, you know, and own it. I watch people who perform and if they're uncomfortable, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. If they're comfortable, I'm comfortable. And you know what? If they make a mistake, they're human. And you, exactly. you just keep going, that's, you know? that's To me, that's part so, of the beauty of, a, of going to a live show, though. That's kind of what I like, the human aspect of it. It's not the right. same thing playing on a CD or vinyl or streaming. Right. So it, I, right. I actually like the mistakes. Oh, so, okay, so you're talking about maybe having a little bit of anxiety. So that made me think of it, of a, of a question here. After you had your first hit, did you have the anxiety of, Oh, and I got to do a follow-up. I got to write another hit or were you a little more easygoing about the whole process? I got way more confident after that first hit. Okay. Yeah. Cause it was right before that first hit. It had been 10 years. I had been writing these songs. They were all getting recorded, but I never had, a single that became a hit. And I started thinking that maybe I should wait tables again. So when bitch hit, I had had singles in other countries, but never a song where I could leave my house and turn on my car radio and hear it. Oh, okay. So I felt like, thank you. I'm not crazy. (laughs) I'm not nuts. I have something. And that was like in 97, 98. And then, what a girl wants came in. It was the first number one song of the new millennium in oh, 2000. Right. And I had come on over baby right after that, which I, which was also number one. Then Brandy came and then, then they started coming and perhaps I got a little full of myself. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps I got like a little too like, yeah, you know, and then I got this figured then, out. God, it would just, you know, yeah. you really have to adjust. Um, and I think I did, but I felt like after all those years, I deserve to be just a little full of myself just for a year oh. or two, you know, I couldn't, I can't blame you. I'm full of myself, but just, <laughs> I deserve to be confident, confident. After all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So 
before I let you go, I, I want to know a little bit more about the songwriters of North America as well. Yes, please. How how did that get started? Because you were a founding member of that. How did right. how I did am. that whole group get started? So, like I said before, when when my statements started going down, everybody's statements were going down, and nobody sort of wanted to talk about it because we all thought, "Is it just me?" Yeah. But uh-huh. then my friend group and I started comparing notes and said, you know, this is not okay. And four of us, it was Michelle Lewis, Kay Hanley, Pam Shane, and myself went to Dina LaPolt and who's a very prominent music business attorney. And she said, let's do something about this. We got educated. We invited other people in. We called ourselves the vampire at first because we were all women. Oh, that's awesome. But put the word out there and men came and they came and every genre came and all, you know, people of color and just everybody, every genre and every culture came in and we went from four to about a thousand Wow! and we went to Washington DC and we went to see Congress people. I brought my guitar. I played them a song because sometimes a song speaks louder than words. And we passed the music modernization act and we were very interested and we got the God, the mechanical licensing collective on people's desks. And we really made a difference. And we got Michelle Lewis, who's an executive director with Kay Hanley. She became incredibly knowledgeable about litigation and how to lead us and what we could do to make things better. And we made it better, but it's, it's sadly never going to get back to that physical copy. Unfortunately, you know, everybody says there's a vinyl resurgence, not so much, but we made it better. And we have a voice at the table now. And, you know, we shame the digital delivery services for, giving us the raw end of the deal. So there's a lot more awareness. I was on the board of Sona for songwriters of North America for eight years. I just stepped down. I am now on the advisory board, but it's time for young people who are in the rooms to get their hands dirty and pull up their sleeves and make change themselves. So we hope we led the way, you know, that is wonderful. And yeah. you mentioned the musical you're writing. So what, what can I you tell me about that? Name, but what you could ask me something about it. I was gonna, what can you tell me about that? I know you're, you're in the process of, of working on uh, this. Still. In the process. And I don't know why I don't want to give away the name. Um, <laughs> we want to make sure we want to call it this. Makes sense. And it sort of gives everything away. I would just rather stick to I'm in this new space. Okay keeping keeping myself busy and creative at this post middle age time and i <laughs> encourage everybody to stay energized and keep following what they want to do because there's so much creative space out there yeah. and if you don't want to retire there's plenty of room oh that's yeah. awesome that is awesome. yeah I'm, I'm having fun again so oh that's so good to hear yeah where can people follow your everything so, what you're doing i'm not 
I'm not really big on Twitter. I don't like to communicate in in brief little snippets. But I well, do, you're a songwriter. Uh, that doesn't that's not it doesn't work. That's yeah. I need at least three three and a half minutes. Exactly. But um, my book, Confessions of a Serial Songwriter, is still you can find it on Amazon. My website is shellypiken.com. S H E L L Y. P-E-I-K-E-N. And I've got a blog on there where I muse about something I'm doing or something musical or a concert I went to or the musical I'm making or something that's not only informative, but humorous and maybe cynical in a way. And just I tell it like it is. I tell it like I feel. And that's on my website is called a confessions blog. It's sort of taking after my book and Facebook. I'm very chatty and uh, that's where I'm at. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks for having me. It's been such a lovely conversation. I want to thank you for giving me time to breathe a rock you waited so patiently while i got it together while i figured it out i only look but i never touched because in my heart was a picture of us holding hands making plans and it's lucky for me you understand yeah it's lucky for me you understand what a girl wants Sets you free and I'm thanking you for knowing exactly what a girl wants, what a girl needs, whatever keeps me in your arms and I'm thanking you for giving it to me. It's NFL draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.